All right, good morning, Parkview. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to worship with you. Anybody else kind of sore after shoveling snow on two straight Saturdays? I heard yesterday's snow was supposed to be light and wispy. It was not. So it was, mine was pretty heavy. We have a west-facing driveway, which is nice when the snow, uh, the sun melts the ice, right? But it's bad when the wind comes from the northwest and your house is a snow fence, and it's deep. So anyway, I hope you guys are, are doing great. I appreciate our worship team, uh, Emily and Lisa. Emily and Lisa just led us. Uh, John um, had minor hand surgery this week, so he's out a couple weeks, and that guy faithfully serves his church week after week after week. So, um, and then part of our team is leading worship on the East Campus today. Part of the team is leading worship at another church today. So we have a very full bench. I'm very grateful for the folks leading us. Lisa's about halfway through a pregnancy, and she said her best moments in the day are between 9 and 11. Isn't that good for us? And she said she loves leading worship, so this is a good... Anyway, she's so glad to help us out. So very grateful for the team up there. So um, we are going to be studying today the book of, in the book of Philippians in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, you can also follow along in the bulletin you got when you came in. And as you're turning there or getting there, let me just give a few staff uh, updates, a few leadership updates around the church. So Todd Kramer has been our student ministries pastor for the last 11 years. And Todd, we announced this back in September, but Todd resigned, and it's effective the end of December because he's taking a different position with a group called Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he's going to be involved in the international division of that ministry. And so what's really cool is that part of his ministry will be connecting with uh, Lindsay and Andre Kravtsov, who are uh, global workers from Parkview who serve in Ukraine. So when I saw Todd's job description of what he was going to be doing when he showed me this back in May, I was jealous. Like, this looks fun. So um, it's a good thing that Todd is moving toward. Uh, he and Beth uh, attend here, worship here. They don't have to move for this position, so you'll still see them uh, around Parkview. So very grateful for Todd's service here. And we are searching for uh, his position to be filled. And in the meantime, Mike DeWard is our junior high pastor, is overseeing the ministry with his team. So be praying for them. In fact, they're skiing today with 50 students and looking for the gospel to go out through that great time together. So uh, be praying. And I think you're going to meet Mike next week and hear a little bit about student ministry. So, so be praying for that transition um, and very grateful for Todd and Beth and what they've been doing here. Uh, the other transition involves Andrew Hancock. So Andrew, for the last nine years, um, the last three on a part-time basis, has been leading our young adult ministry, so like post-college ministry. And so he's been incredibly faithful and effective of that. I've known Andrew for, since he was like in sixth grade. And that guy has just faithfully followed Jesus and helped other people do the same thing. Very effective disciple maker. In fact, in his years of leading young adult ministry, one thing he does well is you'll see young adults serving all over this church, and it's because they're following the heart of their shepherd. Andrew loves this church, loves the local church, and so all of his ministry folks would just be serving all over the place. So Andrew is describing this as a halftime in his ministry career, in his ministry life. He has asked for this time uh, to seek God for what's next. And so um, we've been talking about this, again, almost for a year, about where God is leading him next. And so the same deal with Todd. You'll still see Andrew here. He loves this church. This is his church. 
but officially has resigned from that position of young adult pastor. So in this time period now, um, the responsibilities of that ministry will be under Wade uh, Urig and then Thomas, who you met earlier. And um, so if you know Iowa City and you know this church, the ministry to young adults is crucial and essential. And so we're really looking forward to, very grateful for Andrew in the years that he served, but we're also very excited about what God is going to continue to do in that ministry. And the last one involves all of you, that we're in the time of year where we are um, really seeking God uh, for the next year's leadership uh, positions around the church. And so two in particular uh, that I think it's an exciting time to be stepping into. Uh, The Bible talks about the roles of deacon and deaconess, and those are two very special roles in a church. They're men and women who use their gifts to serve and help both within the church and then in the community. And so in our layout right now, we are in a season now where we're revamping what that means because we are one church in three locations. And a lot of our uh, job descriptions or ministry policy manuals uh, reflect uh, an older day. And so we're in the process of just updating what do deacons and deaconesses do. But really, if you have a heart for just serving for like on a weekly basis here, it's things like communion, um, counting, offering, um, doing like physical repairs, uh, serving families that are going through crisis, like at a funeral or different things, our benevolence ministry that cares for the poor. Uh, really, the deacons and deaconesses are running front lines there. But also, what I've seen recently in the last few years is that these teams look for different ways to serve in areas of need around our community, too. So if those things uh, sound interesting to you, the next, it should have been last Friday and the next two Fridays, the churchwide email that goes out gives you a chance to reply and respond that you're interested, or you can tell one of the pastors, call the office, any of those ways, but be praying. And uh, one of the themes you'll see, we're studying the book of Philippians, uh, one of the key themes there is participation, that we, last week we referred to the church as Team Jesus, like we've all been invited in to play a part on this team, and I think it'd be really cool if more and more of us just knew what our role was on this team, and every week we're here serving each other and serving our city, so those are two practical ways you could do that. All right, so Thanks for that. So let me ask you this. How many of you would say, as you look back on your week, how many of you had a bad, a bad day this week? Like how many you say, maybe it was Tuesday, Thursday. Did anybody have a bad day this week? Okay, I can't really always see because of the light. I can't see people live streaming. So, but there's some bad days in the room. Let me show you a couple quick pictures of people that had bad days in the last year. Okay, so here's somebody left their sunroof open in the snow and that was not a good idea. I've done that before. I've left my window down. Okay, so there's that. This one, I don't know if you can see it. Somebody was in the sun too long eating cereal, and so there's an outline of a spoon. Everything else got sunburned on this person's legs, all right? So you got that one. Here's somebody blowing out candles, and her hair caught on fire. I don't think anybody was permanently damaged in any of these. Uh, Here's one. Somebody's kitchen cabinets totally collapsed. How would you like to wake up to that in the morning, huh? There you go. Here's the last one. Some poor little kid on a scooter hits some wet concrete. <laughs> that, that looks sad, doesn't it? You feel bad for that little guy or that little girl that did that. So, so okay, let's say that one of those things happened to you this week. Like, what, what's our natural response, like, when a bad day hits? And it's not like the kind of thing that something bad like that happens and you sit down and contemplate. How am I going to respond to this? What's going to come out? It's like what's in you just comes out uh, when you have a bad day like this. And so... Um, but it's, it's interesting, like when you look at uh, the way that God's people 
have, had, have operated throughout the, the, throughout the Bible times and throughout even modern history, that our days are not always like spotless, perfect, good days, right? We all face adversity of different kinds. In fact, it seems like as the gospel spreads, as God's movement goes, it usually goes directly in the face of adversity. You know, even Jesus himself, if you look at his ministry and his life, and that's the one we follow, like this, this was not an easy life for Jesus. So it seems like uh, adversity is just par for our course. It's like something we can expect in our lives. And, and so the point is, though, like sometimes if you're going through adversity and you know it's for something good, you'll go through it, right? I won't ask for a show of hands on this, but sometimes at the beginning of the year, some people start eating differently, right? So some of you might be on Whole30 or cutting out the sugar right now or the gluten, and so right now that doesn't feel very good. Like you want to have a ho-ho right now or some big old brownie or something, but, but really what you're looking for is like, I'm going to be healthier on the other end of this. Um, we've got some track athletes and a track coach back there, and my wife and I got to go to an Iowa track meet yesterday and saw, man, two of, the, two of the gals that are back there, just, we saw one perform, man, she did awesome in a 60-meter dash, like just, but that doesn't just happen, like she didn't just wake up one day and run fast, there's been some hard work and discipline in her life, but it pays off when she gets to do as well as she did yesterday, at least I thought you did great, faster than me, so, um, so, but like as long as we know there's something good, then we're willing to go through adversity. And so let me just, let me just bring us all into this. Um, you, we, we talked about this last week. God invites every one of us uh, to, to be in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And we called this last week Team Jesus, that when Jesus established the church, the church is a group of people who rally around Jesus and are all about what he taught about and his mission. Like, you get, you get the privilege of wearing Team Jesus jerseys and represent him. Uh, and so what God is doing is he's been writing a story, you see, throughout the Bible and throughout history, that God made all of us. He made this world. Uh, it was a beautiful creation. He longs to be in relationship with us. But that um, we have sinned against God. So every one of us has rebelled against God, and so now there's a distance in our relationship with him. But the Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's a mission now the church has where God is pursuing people in this broken world to show them his love and to reunite them to himself through Jesus Christ, okay? And so we, we call that becoming a Christian and following Jesus, and then that means you're on that team, and you get to be part of that grand story that God is writing. You get to be a part of Team Jesus, and it's a team that is unstoppable, okay? It's a team that is going to win in the end of the day, but it's a team that faces amazing adversity along the way. And so today's passage, you guys, is one of my favorite ones in the Bible because we're going to see uh, a man, one of the leaders on Team Jesus, handle adversity in an incredibly powerful way. Okay, so let me pray, and then we'll jump in and see what does it look like to be able to have joy in the midst of adversity. Okay, let me pray, then we'll jump into it together. So, Father, thank you um, that we get to open the Bible now and that we get to hear from you. You are a God who loves to talk to his people. And so, God, would you please speak clearly today? You love us, and you want us to know uh, what is true. You want us to know how to be people who can find joy in any circumstance. You want us to be a people that live our lives for what really matters. So would you speak clearly to us? Help us listen to you today. 
In your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I'll start reading. We'll read two verses to start with. This is Paul, and he is writing to a church in Philippi, and he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Okay, so we're going to stop there. This is the Apostle Paul that has spent his life after meeting Jesus, traveling throughout Asia and Europe in his day, telling people about Jesus and setting up churches, setting up Team Jesus is all over that region, and he's really effective at this. Like it's been happening, and a lot of people are starting to follow Jesus through him. One of his favorite places that happened was in Philippi, these people that he's writing to. And we saw a little bit of that last week in the first 11 verses. He, he has a really, uh, there was a really affectionate tone in the beginning of this letter because he called them partakers and teammates, participants in the gospel. Like, they didn't just hear the gospel from him, but they jumped in. They were all in with him, and they were all about seeing the gospel work in them and through them. So he's really close to them. And so what you're seeing now is he's beginning to tell them, how's it going with him? Like, he's already told them how much he loves them. Now he's giving them an update. Here's what's going on in my situation. And so this is one of those deals where the people in Philippi knew that Paul was in prison. And I think what they're bracing for is like, oh, poor Paul. Like he's in prison and, oh, we're going to hear about how hard it is and how discouraged he is and how frustrated he is. And wow, poor Paul. But instead, they get like this amazing report. Like, guys, I want you to know that the gospel is advancing because of my imprisonment. I mean, just, I just imagine they are so excited, but they're surprised. You're happy that you're in jail? How could this be? In fact, if I could just fill this in a little bit more, The current situation Paul's talking about has been going on for about two years. For two years, he's been in prison in Rome, and it was called a house arrest, where he would have been living in a very modest like, uh, lodging of some sort, uh, where meals would be provided for him, but he would have to pay for all of it. But he was not allowed to leave that house. In fact, he was such a priority prisoner that constantly chained to him would be somebody from the imperial guard, the Praetorian Guard. It was an elite guard of soldiers that either worked in the home of the emperor, Caesar, or worked with very, I guess, distinguished prisoners like Paul. So this was like an elite force. And so that, that's pretty bad for two years. Here's a guy that's used to traveling and telling people about Jesus and starting churches. And for two years, he's been confined to the house. You know what? If you could back that up two more years, for two years, Paul was in prison in a place called Caesarea, and they were trying to figure out what to do with them. Then they put him on a ship to send him to Rome. On the way to Rome, that ship sank, like, and he had to like, swim to shore. And I mean, it was brutally dangerous. So like, that's been the start of Paul's last four years. Like, guys, I could maybe handle four days you know, of being cooped up if I was Paul. But I'd be starting to go off the rails a little bit. God, what are you doing? Like, God, how come I'm on the sideline? But we're four years into this. And I would think, like, if I was the Philippians, like, oh, I'm sure Paul's starting to snap. Like, man, Paul's a great guy. But no, the report is, guys, the gospel is advancing. Like, you just sense excitement by Paul. So here's apparently what's going on, is that Paul didn't get all mad and ticked off at God because of his circumstances. He says, okay, here I am. I'm chained to guards. Hmm, how could the gospel advance? Ha, I've got a captive, 
I got a captive audience right here. Like, who's the prisoner, right? So the way it worked, it seems like, is that the Praetorian Guard would take shifts, and anywhere from four to eight-hour shifts, would, a guy would be chained to Paul. And so if you know much about Paul, what would he be talking about? Maybe the weather a little bit, the Hawkeyes here and there, you know, maybe the news in a little bit. But eventually, you got four, at least four hours with this guy. He's going to be talking to you about Jesus, right? And so what has apparently happened is that through those conversations over two years, day in and day out, just constantly talking, some of these guys are starting to follow Jesus. And the, we know, the way we know that's happening is at the very end of Philippians, in chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, he's kind of wrapping up the letter, and he says, and there's greetings to you from the saints uh, here in Rome, especially those from the household of Caesar. You go, wait a minute, the household of Caesar? How do you know that, Paul? Like, and how did you get the gospel to the household of Caesar? Well, these Praetorian guards chained to him are learning about Jesus, and then when their shift takes them to the emperor's house, to Caesar's house, they're just talking about Jesus. And people from Caesar's household, that could be family, that could be close servants, like people there are trusting Christ. That is awesome. Like, so earlier in his career, Paul made the wish known. He goes, man, I just can't wait to preach the gospel in Rome. That would be so cool. Probably not in his little dream bubble was, and I sure hope I'm in prison doing that, you know? He was thinking of charging into Rome like he's done in other places and just starting churches. But God had another plan. He says, yeah, Paul, you'll get the gospel to Rome, but you're going to do it, and it's going to be a frustrating four years, and you're going to be on a ship. It's going to crash. You're going to be chained to guards. But Paul, I'll bet you your plan wouldn't have had the gospel make inroads into the household of Caesar. I've got a different plan, Paul, and it's going to blow you away. So just go with the program. And guys, when I think of things like that, I just wonder, like, how many opportunities have I missed that God is putting right before me because it wasn't part of my plan. Like, I, I think too often we drive our own lives based on comfort and control. Like I just want things to be easy and I want to be calling the shots. And so if you follow God and uh, you're really letting him lead your life like we say we do, there's going to be times where he won't let you be in control and there's going to be times where it is not going to be easy. Uh, it's going to come at a cost for you. And so really the choice is who's in charge of your life and what's your ultimate aim? Is it your comfort or is it something greater? Because if, if what is important to you is that you're comfortable and in control, you will not be a joyful person. Like you may on good days be joyful, but if it starts turning south, uh, no, you won't be. But if you're submitting to somebody else leading your life who has a great story he's writing, who's involving you in that story, uh, and he's going to allow you to see to see uh, joy in that. And that's, that's where your constant joy is going to come from, from surrendering to God, not doing your own thing. Um, just to remind you, like this book we're reading now was a letter that Paul wrote. So he's writing from jail, and then it's going to this church. And so uh, it would have been read to the believers in this church. It would have been read out loud. And I think as this part of the letter was read, I, I would bet you there was at least one just massive smile that started breaking out in that audience. So let me just give you one more backstory. So about eight years before Paul was in prison there, Paul went to Philippi for the very first time to start talking about Jesus. And apparently at that time, there weren't many uh, even God-fearers at that time in that town. So his first person who started believing in Jesus was a woman named Lydia. Apparently she was a very successful businesswoman. She was a clothier. 
uh, seller of purple is what they called it, but that would would have meant a very fancy, expensive uh, type of clothing. So it's very much a woman of means. Then the next person who came to Christ was a servant girl. And because she came to Christ, her owner got mad at Paul, and Paul got beaten with rods severely and then thrown into prison. Okay, this was like eight years before that prison. He's in prison here. And you can see this in Acts chapter 16. It says that about midnight, Paul and Silas, that was Paul's traveling teammate, were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to him. Like, I don't know what condition you and I would be in if we'd been beaten with sticks, thrown in prison, it's midnight. There'd be a lot of moaning, groaning, and complaining. Like, instead from Paul, there's praising and there's singing to God. And if you know the story, if you don't, then there was an earthquake the, the earthquake rattled the doors, the doors of the prison open up, and the jailer comes running in because if those prisoners had escaped, that jailer at least loses his job, if not loses his life. But he runs into the prison, and Paul says, don't worry, we're all here. And then you look at Acts 16, uh, and it says that the jailer called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. And so as the story goes on, the jailer and his whole family started following Jesus that night. So can you just imagine, here we are eight years later, they're hearing the letter about Paul in jail in Rome and he's just doing his thing, he's sharing the gospel. Man, there's a jailer and maybe his family all looking at each other and winking like, that's our man. That's our boy, Paul. Like, that's, how, that's the guy who introduced us to Jesus because he didn't complain, he didn't get angry, and he was, like, not checking out because he was in jail. But, man, he pointed us to Jesus. Like, that is, that is so cool. So, so God, here's some bottom lines. God has a plan. It's better than ours, okay? He's inviting us into it. There's going to be times you won't understand it. There's going to be times where it's going to be hard. Um, but it's in those moments of, uh, of adversity and difficulty that God could very well be working in those circumstances through you to get the gospel out. So the key for us is to keep our eyes up and to keep looking for what God is doing, even if the times are really hard. And guys, you see that throughout the Bible. And um, there was a guy in the Old Testament named Joseph that was taken into slavery by his brothers and sold. And he went to a whole different country. But as this story continued, God used Joseph to save his people from a famine. And so at the end of Joseph's life, when he saw his brothers again, he told them, you meant this for evil, but God used it for good. You see that theme even in one of the verses that Paul's most famous for writing is in Romans 8, 28. Uh, And you've maybe heard this before, even if you don't know the Bible that well, that we know that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Like Paul had such a confidence that God had a plan, it was better than his, and even if there's adversity, man, I'm just gonna follow that God, and I'm gonna praise that God, and my joy will be in the advancement of the gospel, not in my comfort and my circumstances. That is, that is awesome. So I just ask you this morning, and uh, I ask me, like, what, how are we handling our tough situations? Like, how did you handle your bad day this week? Um, if there's a lot of grumbling, complaining, getting ticked off. You know, it could be that we're just missing out on what God is doing. I was talking to one of our pastors this week about you guys. We were bragging on you guys, like just, 
just the core of this church, like the people that we're doing um, ministry with. And if you're not on the core yet, please just get in. There's room. We love having you here. But just over the years, the people we have faithfully seen follow Jesus through hard times and good times. And just uh, a couple stories, like one, uh, there was one of you this fall uh, that was in the hospital for a week for something pretty serious, actually. And then, but towards the end of the week, when things started getting better and it was time for release, uh, that person um, threw a pizza party for the whole staff that was caring for her that week, like just left celebrating, left giving a gift to those that had served her so well. And if you know this person, that's how she rolls. Like, it's not about her. It's about the gospel. It's about serving others. So I just love that, that story. And guys, some of you have been around me for a while, know this one, but this is one of those all-time ones when um, uh, there was a guy in our youth ministry back in the day named Joe Hove that was an amazing kid. He was a, a junior at Solon and uh, was pointing friends to Jesus through his life. He was a ton of fun to be around. And he was, his life was ended suddenly in a car accident. And I'll never forget the phone call from his mom because two statements were put side by side that just don't make any sense. The first was when she told me that Joseph has died in the car accident. And then right after that, she said, and I want to have a party to celebrate his life so that his friends can meet Jesus. And so the next, three, next couple of weeks that unfolded, we did the service here, and the place was just packed with kids from Solon and the whole community, the church, just coming around, and the gospel went out so clear. The next youth group night, there was a night where we just brought people in, and the kids in, and we just grieved. I'll never forget, there was one kid from Solon that was like the Pied Piper that drove out into the parking lot, and you just saw all these cars and about 50, 70 kids just coming in. Just grieved Joe that night. But the mom got up in that meeting and said, you know what, you guys? Next week, thank you for grieving. Thank you for comforting us. But next week, I want you guys to come to the Joe Hove party. I want you guys to come. And we're just going to laugh. We're going to celebrate Joe. So everybody came the next week dressed like Joe, like to dress. We ate the food Joe likes. We laughed at the stuff Joe used to laugh at. We played the games Joe liked to play. But the people in that meeting heard the hope that Joe had in Jesus Christ. And we saw some of his friends start following Jesus through that. Guys, that, that's off the charts. That, that's not normal. But that's an example of a mom who's doing exactly what Paul is showing us. She wasn't living for her comfort or for her ease, but she found a deeper joy in the advancement of the gospel. That, that, that's powerful. So if you're looking and you're watching going like, man, that's only his first point. He's got two more. That was by far the longest. Okay, I got two more kind of shorter ones. But the gospel um, advances through adversity. Okay, we see that. And here's the second one. This gives us all some comfort, especially after a story like Catherine Hove. So the gospel advances through imperfect people, through imperfect people. Maybe you just heard what Catherine did and went, there, 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 there's no way I could do that. Okay, well, there's hope for us. The gospel advances through imperfect people. Let me read verse 14 uh, to 17 for us. Paul says that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So I see two groups of like imperfect people 
but yet the gospel is still going out through them. The first group would be those you would call the timid ones. Those are kind of like afraid, and they're, they're quiet, and they don't talk about the gospel. So Paul says one thing that he's super fired up about is because of his imprisonment, some people who were shy and bashful are now bold about their faith. Like they're talking about Jesus, and the gospel is going out. And you look at this dynamic, you say, well, what, what's going on? So if you've ever like, coached a sport before, I'm thinking baseball in particular here, sometimes like in a group of kids, or it can be maybe even at higher levels too, that there's a pitcher that is just so fast. And like everybody on the team is like scared to death and they're getting up in the box and they're just taking really horrible swings and the guy's just mowing through them. And you can just sense a tone on the whole bench, like everybody's scared to death, right? Until that one kid gets up there and says, okay, and just rips a hit off that guy. And there's suddenly like an injection of courage. You can just sense it on the whole team. Yeah, give me a bat. I'm going to go do that too. You know, just, it can infect a whole team when one kid does you know, that act and then it just kind of flips everything. So I think that's what's happening here, that the believers in Rome before Paul's in prison, you can imagine it'd be very intimidating. You mean you want me to share Jesus in Rome? Caesar lives here. And have you ever seen like the imperial guard that's around here? Man, those guys are mean and tough. And then Paul shows up in prison and he's leading imperial guard people to Jesus, right? So I think, you're doing what, Paul? Like you're, you're doing what? That's awesome. Like if you can lead a prisoner or, you know, one of these soldiers to Jesus, why can't I start talking about Jesus? So like there's this courage that's just been injected into the believers in Rome and the gospel's going out. And Paul's saying, that's awesome. I praise God for that. So there's, that's a good sign of kind of quiet and timid ones going bold with their faith. And so, guys, we see that today, too. That very concept is happening in our world today. So on a global level, um, in 2015, I remember showing you guys the slides. Maybe you remember when the uh, Egyptian workers... Uh, working in Libya from the Coptic church in Egypt were all captured by ISIS and then were laid out along the, the shore by the sea and every one of them was beheaded. Remember, it made the huge news and all of this and we, I showed you, um, you know, told you the, like a poem that was written about them and, and all this. I just learned this week, if you look at that picture of those men that were killed, most of them will look Egyptian but then there's one man that I hadn't noticed before but he's from Ghana, so he's vis he visibly looks different. And apparently he was another construction worker that just happened to be believers from Egypt, and so that was captured. And so when they laid out these 21, 20 were from Egypt, but 21 total got beheaded. When they came to this man from Ghana and said, um, are you going to denounce Christ? And his answer was, uh, my God is their God. Now, I just got... I'm getting him now. Goosebumps, like, hearing that. And so I don't know that man's story. Like, if he was so inspired by the 20 guys ahead of them, not afraid to lose their head for the name of Christ, and he says, their God is my God. Like, there was some courage there uh, going on. Um, but even if you look back at that whole story, uh, if you look at what's been going on in the Mideast, in the Muslim world in the last decade, People on the ground doing work among Muslims say that we are seeing more and more Muslims begin to follow Jesus Christ. And it's the two reasons I'm hearing is because of the love of believers toward people in crisis and hardship, but it's also because of the courage. 
of believers like these martyrs from the Coptic church who are not afraid to back down for their conviction to Jesus Christ, even to the point of death. Guys, that turns heads. They go, you found something better than life itself. Like, what is this gospel? Who is this Jesus? And so um, let's bring it down to, let's bring it to our lives here. If you ask the average American who goes to church, um, why don't you talk about Jesus with people who don't know him? There'll be two reasons are clearly at the top of the list. Number one is, I don't know what to say. And I would doubt that. I think most, if you've been sitting in church, I think you could probably piece it together. I think the biggest reason is fear, is we're just afraid. We're afraid of what people might think, or they're going to think I'm a moron, they're going to think I'm a Bible thumper, they're going to think I'm whatever. You know, like, so we're afraid. If it, if it gives you any hope, like Paul, there was a time where he was asking people to pray for him, and one time, it's in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, if you would pray for me, pray that I would have boldness to proclaim the gospel. And then he repeated it. Pray that I'll proclaim it boldly as I should. I would still think, Paul, you don't need to ask for that. Like you're the guy that goes into prison and just sings for joy, or you're the guy that's chained to Praetorian guards, and you talk to him about Jesus. But this, if it helps you any, this was a battle for Paul. And so... Um, it's, it's a battle for us, but yet, you know, the, the example here is that God works through imperfect people, even if you're afraid. Like, pray for that courage and get the gospel on display. And if I could say, if there's one, one of the hugest benefits for me about being in community, so I've got a couple of men's groups I meet with, meet with our staff team, we're involved in two community groups. Like, when I hear people tell stories of what they're doing when they're following Jesus, it just fires me up. Like, I can do that. Like, if he, if he can do that, I can do that. Or if she's doing that, wow, that fires me up. I want to do that too. And so my encouragement is for you to get around. Get, get around some people that, that are, are following Jesus as well and want to see the gospel advance so that can keep you from being afraid, all right? So, so that's one of the imperfect people. The other one are these people that are preaching Christ with a bad motive, okay? And so we don't exactly know what's going on here, but what it looks like is that because Paul's in prison, there's some other Christian leaders that are trying to capitalize on that. And they're trying to maybe build a name for themselves and their churches. Well, Paul's in prison. You better just start following me. You better start just coming to my church or start following my ministry. And what's really interesting, and a little bit later in the book of Philippians, he's gonna warn us about another group of people who are totally distorting the gospel. I don't think it's the same people. So the people ta Paul's talking about here are preaching the gospel. They're just doing it from the wrong motives. They're, they're trying to compete with Paul instead of just like, hey, we're all one team. Let's just get the gospel out there. And so what is so amazing about Paul, though, like that would really, that could tick me off. Wouldn't it, would that maybe, am I just alone in that one here? Like you're already in prison. It's been four years you're on the sidelines. Everybody else there is talking trash about you. Like that, that could be really distracting uh, and really discouraging. And so it's interesting. If Satan is going to try to attack this church, I think he's going to hit us from two angles. One might be from some opposition on the outside, but the, the, I think the more deadly one is the one that can come from the inside. Like when we start competing and comparing and cutting each other down and there's gossip flying around this place. Like, when that starts happening, I think Satan's excited. Yeah, let's get those guys kind of fighting with each other and forgetting about the gospel. You guys, um, you're going to see this is a theme Paul's going to address throughout Philippians. 
but the call is for us to be united together, contending as one person under the gospel. Like, it's Jesus that's awesome. We all follow him, but we do not divide. We do not gossip. Um, we do not tear each other down. We do not tear other churches down. Uh, on Friday, I met somebody that's new in town, and my friend introduced me to her, and she said, oh, yeah, my husband and I are new. We're, we're church shopping, and we went to X church last week. I said, that's a great church. Like, if you end up there, that's a great place. Oh, well, we're going to visit yours on Sunday. It's like, that's awesome. But uh, seriously, like, if you end up there or here, that is awesome. And that's my posture, you guys. There's some great Bible-teaching churches in this city that they are not the enemy. Those are our teammates, you guys. We are contending as one for the gospel. So within this church and with like-minded churches, uh, there is no competition. There is no rivalry. We are all one pursuing Christ together. Amen on that? Are we good? So just kind of watch that tone. Like, I mean, if you're excited about what God is doing in your church or with, there's not, make sure he's getting the praise. Um, but there, there's no need for rivalry. And, and I would imagine the way that rivalry is exposing the most probably would be in, in the form of gossip. Like just what occasionally I catch and it's going on. And so just watch that, you know. The, here, here's the truth. The gospel will continue to advance. Uh, the truth is, though, it might be advancing in spite of you. I would hate to find that out. That, oh, seriously? Like I was, yeah, well but it still prevailed, like you, you know. So that's my encouragement, is make sure we're contending as one for the gospel. Let me take a minute and do this. The slide is going to say, uh, advancing the gospel for dummies. Okay, and I mean that in the best way possible. You know, have you seen those yellow books, like computers for dummies, like working out for dummies, whatever. I mean like that. Like we're all broken people. How do we advance the gospel? Let me just give you a couple ideas here. Like so, because on Team Jesus, we all have this, amazing privilege to advance the gospel together, okay? I would say number one is to pray. Like just if you have friends and you don't know if they know Jesus yet, the easiest thing you can do is just start praying for them, okay? Pray that their eyes would be open to see Jesus. Pray that you'd have boldness uh, to, to point them to Jesus. Pray for opportunities to do that, but just start praying. Number two means live it up in Jesus. That means like if you follow Jesus, live it up. Like, that should be amazing. Like, there should be some joy in your life. There should be uh, something different about you. Like, if, if, if people know you're a Christian, but then they see you're always whining and negative and complaining and gossiping, trust me, you've already made a statement that Jesus doesn't matter much. Like, so live it up. Like, we have some amazing opportunities because of what Jesus is doing in our lives. Just put those on display, even in simple ways, like, uh, dripping into conversation about how prayer helps you or how reading your Bible, like there was a verse that just gave you encouragement. You're not preaching at them. You're just, just living it up or talking about some cool for things that other Christians have done, uh, you know, to help you or to help other people. So you're just living it up and just, just talking about your faith in positive ways. Uh, share your story means, oh, I'm sorry, be a great friend, just like you're serving them, you're listening to them. Do you know how few people we have in the world today that listen to us and just sit down and ask good questions? Just being a good friend, serving them, uh, looking for ways to help. Uh, number four is share your story. Like if you get a chance to just insert what God has done for you, it's really interesting. Today, uh, you may get a lot of questions about, do you really believe in the Bible instead of science, or do you believe in evolution, or how can Jesus be the only right way? You know, those are all discussable topics, 
But when you talk about what Jesus has done for you personally, there's, there's no debate there. That's your story. That's, that's what's true. That's what happened. And so think about ways to weave that in. Eventually be ready to share the gospel. And I hope all of you are ready to do that. Like you would know how to sit down with somebody and just walk them through the gospel. If not, please let me, let the staff know. I had somebody a couple weeks ago say, could you train me to do that? I know you're really busy. You probably don't have time for this. This was like, dude, that's like top of the stack kind of stuff. Like that's why we do what we do. So yes, ask that. Yes. You know, and so even to any of you, like you're not sure you're a Christian and you just really want to sit down and talk about that, like top of the stack stuff. Okay. So share the gospel. Uh, invite them to read the Bible. Like either if they become a Christian or not, just invite them to start reading a gospel, one of the stories about Jesus. I love the quote by a famous pastor named Spurgeon who said, uh, you don't defend a lion, you let it out of its cage. And so it's the same thing about the Bible. Like we can try to explain and defend it, but there's something so living and real about this book. Just invite your friend to just start reading the Bible. Let the Bible defend itself. Okay, and the last one is if they ask questions, just try to reroute those questions back through the person and the life of Jesus. I've got some great resources on that. I would love to to coach on that again. Like, need some help on that? That's top of the stack kind of stuff uh, for our staff. So, so would love to help with any of any of that. So the last point, you guys, is the quickest one. Okay, so the gospel advances through imperfect people. That's all of us, and the gospel advances for the joy of everyone involved. Verse 18 is when Paul said, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Like that's, that was Paul's driving motive in life, was to see Christ uh, proclaimed and the gospel advanced. So that gave him joy in any circumstance, even in prison, even on the sidelines for four years. Paul found great joy in seeing the gospel advance. And so what's really cool is I've talked a lot about the gospel advancing through adversity. Can I also say this, that in every step of the way, as the gospel advances, there is great joy. I think even when Jesus was dying on the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Even on the cross, there was joy. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that every time one person becomes a Christian, there is joy in heaven. In the presence of the angels, there's celebration. There's great joy in that. And Paul is showing us that there is great joy in being involved in sharing the gospel. Like there is no greater thrill. There is nothing better you can invest your life in than the advancement of the gospel. So I'm not complaining, but this week I had a really like wall-to-wall week. And about halfway through my week, God gave me an amazing gift. It had been a long day. It was my last appointment of the day. There was a couple that's getting married and our second time to meet. And we went through the gospel and uh, the, um, the woman uh, was asking so many good questions. But when it came to that point about, are, are you a Christian or not? Just wasn't sure. And so we just answered a few questions and we talked and she listened and she kept asking, guys, this is the most beautiful thing. Just, you know, after about 20 minutes of just discussing your questions and re-emphasizing what Jesus has done for her, you just saw, like, just a, like, just a, her face just changed. And she said, he died for me. It's like, yeah, like, and I don't do anything. Like, he just accepts me. I just have to trust him. Yeah, and just to, like, see 
the faith and the joy and started bawling and he started bawling and I started bawling. Like it was just really cool, you know, and so, and even like trying to say, well, when some people understand that for the first time, like they'll just like to say a prayer to God to kind of like clinch the deal and like, God, I, I want this. So if you want to pray now, you could, or if you want to go home and pray before you go to bed, or you guys want to pray, like have a fiance moment and pray together, like I'm, I'm cool for any of it. And so she ended up praying there. It's like, well, I'm not really sure what to say. And it was so cool to say, well, it's just like a little girl talking to her dad. Like the dad doesn't care if those words are goo goo gaga. Like when he sees your heart, he knows your heart. He knows what you want. Just talk to him. And guys, this is one of the most beautiful first prayers that I have heard. And again, just if we weren't crying before, we certainly were crying then. And there was just great joy and celebration in the gospel going out. And um, uh, we're all invited into that. We're all offered Team Jesus jerseys to go and extend the gospel in a world that desperately needs it. And so that is what's going to give us enduring joy no matter what we face. And so I want to just shut up and give you guys a couple minutes to pray and just let you just kind of just soak here in what God is saying to you. And so on this slide up on the screen, I'm giving you three, maybe three categories. Maybe today you just thank God for the gospel, that he loves sinners like us that Jesus died for sinners like you and me. Maybe that's where you bask. Or maybe it's there's an adversity in your life right now, something really hard, and so maybe you pray, God, would you just open my eyes, change my attitude, and help me look for opportunities in this adversity. And Then the last one is to pray, maybe for a friend of yours that's on your heart right now, you don't know if they know Jesus, just use this time to pray for them. But these next couple minutes are yours uh, to just pray. And then the team will lead us in worship in a little bit. But just go ahead and pray around one of those three themes.